Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts 22 And the commander was trying to figure out what was going on, so he was going to beat the truth out of Paul. And he took the Roman flagellum, and he was about to beat him. Paul said, hey, can you beat a Roman citizen without a trial? Oh, you're a Roman? Okay, hold on a minute, right? And so there was a little fear, but they were still trying to find out who this guy was and why the riot and everything that's going on. So we pick up the story, Acts 22, verse 30, Paul's trials. It says, but on the next day, Acts 22, 30, wishing to know for certain why he had been accused, why Paul had been accused by the Jews, he released him. So it would appear that Paul was in chains for a while and ordered the chief priest and all the council to assemble and brought Paul down and set him before them. Now this could be a formal meeting of the Sanhedrin, the leading council of the Jews, both spiritually and legally. They were the top brass, many aristocrats, wealthy men, religious men. And they had 71 of them. It was 70 plus the high priest, 71. And they met in a place called the Hall of the Hewn Stone. And when they formally met, they were all in their regalia. They would sit in a semicircle and the accused would stand there and they would, there would be questioning and testimony. We're not sure if that's what happened or if the Roman commander just said, hey, they're probably the best people I can find out from what this guy is about and what he's done. So here's Paul. He's put before the council. Acts 23, verse 1, and Paul looking intently at the council. The phrase looking intently is used in Acts 1 for when the apostles are watching Jesus ascend into heaven in awe, uh, eyes locked on what the Lord is doing, and Paul has locked his eyes perhaps on all 71 members, staring them down, if you will, looking intently at the council. And Paul gets the first word, and he says, Brethren, I have lived my life or fulfilled my duty with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Now, what matters most in your life is if you, have, if you can say you have a good conscience before God. Amen? You can, fill, you can fool man, but you can't fool God. And a good conscience makes for a restful, soft pillow. Amen? But you might be saying, well, but how could Paul have a good conscience? Look at all the damage he did while he was Saul and the death of Stephen and arresting people who were Christians. How could he have a good conscience? Because he rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let me add another point. Some of you are going through unnecessary trials because you can't seem to rest in the finished work of Christ. You can't seem to put your sin behind you even though Jesus says you're forgiven and the, the Bible is clear, you can't forgive yourself and so you put yourself through this trial all the time when God is not mad at you. Don't do that. Paul stood before the council and yeah, things that he had done were 30 years earlier but he still was an imperfect man and he said, my conscience is clean, my conscience is good and if you have trusted in Jesus Christ even though you've made mistakes in the past and they may come up and you may struggle over them, we all do, you can have a clean conscience before God. See, our conscience has been cleansed because of the work of Christ. Read Hebrews 9 and 10 and you'll see that that's the repetitive uh, truth of the teaching. I have a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. In other words, Paul's saying, I haven't done anything wrong. I've conducted myself the way God has called me to conduct myself. The word conscience, literally in Latin, con science means with knowledge. 
Your conscience is that little internal meter that tells you if what you're doing is right or what you're doing is wrong. One writer said the conscience is like a window that lets the sun in. Depending on how clean the window is, the more sun comes in. It will illuminate the truth of the matter, what's going on in the room, if you will. Zodiati says conscience is uh, to be one's own witness, one's own conscience coming forward as an internal witness of right or wrong. Now you can sear your conscience and you can uh, ignore it so many times that you can lose a sake of conscience and think what you're doing is right when it's wrong. And what you're doing uh, you know, uh, can, can be off kilter if you sear your conscience. The IRS started a conscience fund. And uh, tax cheating amounts uh, come up to about $180 billion a year. So they started the conscience fund for those who felt guilty and wanted to send in their money after cheating the government. But I'd say in light of recent events, the IRS needs a conscience fund. <laughs> and I think most of you know what I'm talking about because they are having problems, to say the least. And so we have the light of conscience. So here's Paul facing off, uh, basically saying, my heart is clean. I'm good. And when the high priest Ananias, the leader, the spiritual leader of the nation, heard what he said, he commanded those standing beside him to strike him in the mouth. What? Hey, I don't like what he's saying. Hit him in the mouth right now. Strike him. Have you ever noticed that sometimes that's what the enemies of the gospel do? Sometimes when people have a dirty conscience, they want to shut you up by striking out at you. And so he commanded somebody right there, go ahead and hit him in the mouth. You say, wow, that's incredible. Well, Ananias reigned for 11 or 12 years beginning in 47 AD. He was known as one of the most cruel, evil, and corrupt high priests ever to hold the office. According to Josephus, he stole from the common priests their tithes, that should have gone to them, and he beat up anybody who resisted. <laughs> this was what this guy did. So when the Jewish revolts happened around AD 66, right before the fall of Jerusalem, the Jewish guerrillas were going through the area. They found him hiding in an aqueduct near the palace of Herod, and the Jewish guerrillas killed this guy. They killed the high priest of Israel. And I think Luke is trying to show the parallel between Paul and you remember somebody else who got hit in the face unwarranted in a trial? His name was Jesus. And in John 18, they struck him in the face. And Jesus said, if, if I've spoken some untruth, bear witness to the truth. But if I've spoken true, why do you strike me? Now, we'd like to think that Paul's response was as good as Jesus, but this is my new favorite Bible verse, Acts 23.3. Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And all God's people said, amen, yeah, I like it. As a matter of fact, I think when I'm driving now, instead of calling people an idiot, I think I'm going to go with whitewashed wall on the 91. You whitewashed wall. It's biblical. Now, I know I'm going to get emails, right? Hey, Pastor Michael, you know what I got out of your sermon Sunday? Anytime I get mad now, I'm calling people whitewashed walls. Well, I wouldn't recommend that, but if you want to... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you want to read about more about that, it's found in Ezekiel 13, verses 10 through 16. There God calls the prophets whitewashed walls. They, they paint their little wall that's about to fall anyway. They try to mask it. But somebody else said this. Jesus said this of the hypocrites, the religious leaders. He said, you're like whitewashed sepulchers or tombs. Outside you look pretty, and they would paint them to warn people, this is a tomb, don't touch it. You'll be defiled, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And a true hypocrite is someone who's painted on the outside, but inside they're totally corrupted. We all struggle with hypocrisy from time to time. A true hypocrite is an actor. They paint themselves, but inside they're totally corrupt. That's what Paul is saying to the Jewish high priest. And of course, he has good precedent for saying such things. Jesus said things like that. But of course, Paul's not Jesus. So he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And do you sit to try me according to the law in violation of the law, order me to be struck? In other words, you're wrong. You're not conducting yourself as a spiritual leader. But the bystander said in verse 4, you know, sometimes when we're making a statement to somebody, even if we feel we're justified, we also have to consider the bystanders. Amen? And sometimes we say something and we may be right, but then the ones around us pick that up and think, well, that's, that's what we should do in every case because look, daddy did it or mommy did it. And they said, do you revile or heap abuse or vilify God's high priest? Now, I don't think he was God's high priest because he wasn't conducting himself as such. But the bystander said, he's in this position. What are you doing? What are you saying? Why are you calling a curse down on the high priest of God? Now, if you were Paul at that moment, you have several options. But here's what Paul did. Paul said, verse 5, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. Now, if you read commentaries on this, scholars are all over the board. Some scholars say it's because of Paul's poor eyesight. He, he couldn't see who it was. I mean, a lot of you have glasses on right now, and a lot of you wear contact lenses. Have you ever been in a situation where you can't find your glasses, and you realize how bad your eyesight actually is without these, these helps? Well, they didn't have these around in the first century, to my knowledge. So Paul couldn't see real well, so maybe he didn't know. It's possible it was an informal meeting of the Sanhedrin and he didn't have his formal clothing on, maybe. Or some people think that this is sarcasm. In other words, it's some, some irony. Paul might be saying, well, give an order like that. How could I realize that you were the high priest? You certainly aren't acting like the high priest. And everybody who's feeling good about the whitewash wall comment is going with the latter interpretation. It was sarcasm. Amen? <laughs> we like that. Yeah, that's good. That gives me... But we don't know for sure. And the next verse tells us that there, uh, there may be an issue, uh, actually the next part of the verse, and Paul is dealing with his own mistake because he says, for it is written, he says, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That's from the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 28. Let me just say something to you about how we conduct ourselves. Ultimately, what determines our response is not our emotion in the moment or how justified we feel about what we can say in the moment. What should determine our response is the Bible. And Paul was brave enough in the moment to say, actually, you guys are right because there's a Bible verse that says you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. 
I will respect this office even if I don't respect him, I think is part of what Paul is saying. But I think he owns what he did. And if you want to have a clean conscience and you want to be able to live your life with hopefully less trials, own a mistake that you make quickly and remedy it. You know what we do? We make things worse because we do the old blame shift thing. Maybe we're called on something and we say, well, the reason I said that is because they did that. And if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't have. We're famous for that, right? We shift the blame. We, we try to move things around. Oh, it would be different only if they. Well, Paul says, look, uh, this is what the Bible verse says and scripture should be that which makes the call. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And so Paul perceiving, verse 6, that one part were Sadducees, they were kind of the liberal scholars of the day, the other Pharisees, they were more conservative. Paul began crying out, this is in the imperfect tense, verse 6, or he continued crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee. Let's stop right there. What? I thought Paul used to be a Pharisee. Philippians 3, he says, all those things that, I, that were credit to me, I now count them as loss. But is he still a Pharisee? Were there Pharisees in the New Testament that came to believe that Jesus was the Christ? Of course. And in some way, Paul still sees himself as a separated one. And he says, I'm a son of Pharisees or the son of a Pharisee. And he says, I'm on trial. I'm going through this for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't know why you might be in a trial right now, but hopefully if you're under some heat, it's not because of something you've caused by bad behavior, but rather maybe you're getting some persecution for the hope that is in you, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That should be hopefully what the church takes the most heat for. Seems strange, doesn't it? People are mad at Christians. Why? Because we teach the hope of Jesus Christ. Wow. But that's what we face in this world. And so Paul says, this is the hope I have. Nicholas Herman was born in Lorraine, France in 1605, but little is known of his early life. He reached his teen years at the onset of the 30 years war. He fought for the French army. He was seriously wounded and was lame for the rest of his life. Converted at 18, he went to work as a footman for a local official in the treasury. Nicholas, however, had a nagging fear of living an insignificant life. At the age of 50, he joined a Carmelite monastery in Paris where he was dubbed Brother Lawrence and assigned to the kitchen. It was a task that struck him as insulting and humbling. For the next several years, he went about his chores miserable but dutiful. Then one day he began thinking about his attitude. He started reminding himself that God's presence continually permeated him, even in the most menial tasks. If undertaking for God's glory, they are holy. And that means the heat of the kitchen, the sweat of the unplowed field, even the stench of the gutter are holy ground because God goes there with us. Many years passed and Brother Lawrence's countenance and demeanor gradually changed until others began asking him a reason for his radiance. His thoughtful message began to have a profound influence on those around him. And it was preserved in a little book entitled The Practice of the Presence of God. Thus, the simple message of a simple kitchen hand has had a worldwide impact because Lawrence understood the full implications of God's invisible presence. And I think Paul knew that. 
Paul says, this is the hope that I have, that he's with me. And as he said this, verse 7, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees and the assembly was divided. Can you imagine being the Roman commander again? Oh, here we go again. I just wanted to find out the charges against this guy. He doesn't believe in the resurrection. What's wrong with the resurrection? And Paul got the group stirred up a little bit. And I think this was a wise ploy because whenever you can get a team fighting against each other, you know you got them, right? They're fighting in their own dugout. Bats are flying. I think we got this game, boys. And they're going back and forth and arguing. And the Sadducees, notice, say that there is no resurrection nor an angel. They are kind of the liberal theologians of the day, the naturalist nor a spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And can you see Paul kicking back and watching them fight now? I believe in the resurrection. Why don't you believe? Hey, there there are angels and back and forth. And Paul probably just started smiling. This is great. It's like a tennis match. I'm no longer on trial. Everybody else is on trial. And there arose a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and began to argue heatedly. They were outnumbered by the Sadducees, but they were arguing, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces. The word torn there is used in Mark 5.4 of the, the demoniac in, Gadar- in the Gadarenes who tore off his shackles because he was possessed. And the room was getting violent. And so the commander said, Paul's going to get beat up again. And he ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force. And back into the barracks goes Paul. And the commander's thinking, everywhere I take this guy, there are riots everywhere. You ever feel like that sometimes? Everywhere I go, I went from one trial, I was was trying to mine my way into the next trial. And the commander brings him into the barracks. Now, we're going to look at our final verse. How do you think Paul felt at this point? Have you ever gone through something and then you revisit it? Maybe whitewash wall was not the best comment in the moment. And maybe I shouldn't have brought up the resurrection knowing that they were going to start arguing about the Lord, should I have done things differently? I mean, whitewash wall felt really good in the moment. And have you ever, sometimes we go back and we revisit things and we say, you know what, right there is where I should have said, you whitewashed wall. And I should have said it just like that. You white, but Paul had done it in the moment. But now maybe he's, I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with these people. I'm supposed to give witness to you, Lord. Maybe I've blown it. Sometimes we lose sleep over these things, right? I shoulda, I coulda, I woulda. And rotate and lose sleep. And we revisit it and we're going through our own trial again and again. But on the night immediately following, so just after all the hubbub, What's your Bible say? The Lord stood at his side. Now earlier Paul had seen a vision of Jesus and even a time in the book of Acts when he was in a trance. But this clear implication of this Bible verse is the Lord is physically there. That he stood right by Paul's side. Now what would you imagine is coming next? Paul, a couple things. Whitewash wall. I can, I can say things like that. I'm the Lord. But you, <laughs> Paul, the whole ploy about the resurrection, okay. But none of that. You know what the Lord said? He stood at his side and he said, 
take courage. This Greek word tharseo is only used by Jesus giving it, and several times in the New Testament he does. The one that stands out to me is John 16.33. He says, in this world you will, be, you will have tribulation, but take courage. Or the meaning of the word is be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You are going to have trouble in this world, but be courageous. The phrase tharseo in Greek has two primary meanings. It means cheer up and take courage, or we might say man up. (laughs) Cheer up and man up. I'm not done with you. Look at verse 11, middle of the verse. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Paul was probably thinking, is my life over? Am I spending the rest of my life in prison? What's going to happen? Have I blown it? And the Lord said, no, you haven't. No rebuke, no correction. Just, Paul, you've witnessed to my cause, and I'm here. You remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3 refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's colossal statue? And the king got so upset, he said, I'm going to play the music one more time, and if you don't bow, you're going in the fire. And he heated up seven times, and off they went into the flame. And he said, didn't we throw three guys in there? But I see four walking around, loosed, and one of them looks like the Son of God. And how many of you have seen the VeggieTales depiction of this? Hey, boss, there's a fourth one in there, and he's real shiny. Anyway, that's a little veggie tales for you. He must have been shiny if he outshined the flames. And the Bible says that you and I can know that the Lord is by our side. He will never leave us and he will what? Never forsake us. So I may confidently say the Lord is my helper. What shall man do to me? I will not be afraid. And so the Lord stood at his side. And the Lord is by your side. And Paul, writing his last words, this side of heaven said, The Lord stood with me and he strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully proclaimed or accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely home to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that when we go through trials, we can know that you are with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. Some in this room right now, listening to my voice, are going through a deep trial. And thank you that the principles in Scripture can encourage us. They may not answer all our why questions, but we know that one day, you will make things new and wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be a great day of reunion with those that have gone before us. And we will see Paul and Peter and others who have endured and lived for that kingdom that will last. So many of us have many blessings to count to and we want to have a proper attitude as we navigate our way through this life But I think the most important thing that cheers us on, Lord, is we can be of good courage because you are at our side. If you're a person who's not sure you know Christ, just keep your head and heart bowed. It's something like this. Trust in him now. Don't do it alone.
Lord Jesus, say it out loud. Come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I trust in you. Make me your child. Cleanse my life of my sin. I repent of it. And I turn to you. Lord, for any prodigals in the room who have been running from you, maybe they've been in the midst of a storm because they've been running like Jonah. May you bring them back to that place of destination and usefulness. And then for the rest of the precious saints, may you encourage them. May they be of good cheer. You have overcome the world. You went to the cross and loved us so much that you died for us. Help us to have the strength to live for you. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Thank you for listening to Living Truth Radio. Hey, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day. Now is the time. This is what Paul is doing. He's preaching the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. If you haven't met Jesus, now is your time. Today is your day. Trust in him for your salvation. He came to the world, died on the cross, rose from the dead to save you and to save me. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the God-man died for us, that we might live, that we might be alive in Jesus Christ, having all of our sins forgiven. This is the beauty of the gospel. If you don't know Jesus, it's something like this. And I would encourage you, pray it right now. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. But pray it and start it today. Jesus, come into my life. I believe who you are, that you are, you are God in human flesh. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead and I'm going to turn from my sin and turn to you. Give me life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but that's the essence of it. If you did that, would you let us know? Would you reach out to us and let us know that you made a decision to follow Christ? Here's how you can do it. The website is livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. And from there, you can connect with the church and find out more about this ministry, about the radio ministry, about the church Behind this radio ministry is Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in the city of Corona. Hey, we, we really need your partnership. We need your help with radio costs. Radio is not free. In fact, it's pretty expensive. And we've taken it on as a mission of Living Truth to reach out on the highways and byways and to get the Word of God out all over the world. But we need your help. We need you to become a Living Truth partner. Would you do that with us? Would you partner with us? If you can give a one-time gift, it would really help us because we have a ton of open doors right now and we want to walk through them. We want to walk through them by faith, but we need some people who will walk with us. If this ministry has been a blessing to you and you can help us, we need your help. LivingTruthRadio.org. There'll be a, a, a right, right there on the homepage of that site. There'll be the ability to give with your credit card and we would appreciate if you would prayerfully consider giving. Do not give to this ministry above your church home giving but if you do have it and we've been a blessing to you now's the time you can really help us out at livingtruthradio.org thank you so much for listening tell a friend about the program if we can be of help in any way let us know reach out to us through the website if you're ever in the area come and worship with us we'd love to have you 
You can find out information, directions, service times, and all the rest at livingtruthradio.org. This is Pastor Michael Lance. I want to thank Oscar Santa Cruz and Cameron Thomas for their help on the program. And uh, we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Have a great day.